0: be seated and children ages four through fifth grade can be dismissed at this time and if you'd like to open uh, if you're going to follow along in the pew bible in front of you this morning uh, you can turn to page 1043 1043 if you're following along in a Bible you brought, you can open to the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to do something a little maybe atypical this morning, and uh, some of you may groan when I say this, and others may rejoice, but uh, what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to read the book of Colossians. Uh, this is our last Sunday in Colossians, and uh, this book as our many Pauline letters, was written to be read aloud to the church uh, in one sitting, in one session, so we're going to do that. It won't be that long. Bear with me. Uh, but I think it's important for us as a church to hear this uh, all all in one, one breath. So if you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1043. Uh, if you're using your own Bible, you can start in Colossians 1 and we will eventually sit in the end of chapter four, but I'd like to read it uh, together as a body. So would you follow along with me this morning, Colossians, beginning in chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. you learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy faultless and blameless before him If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind they don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from god if you died with christ to the elements of this world why do you live as if you still belonged to the world why do you submit to its regulations don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another just as the Lord has forgiven you so you are also to forgive above all put on love which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do in word or in deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him wives submit to your husbands submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord husbands love your wives and don't be bitter toward them children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord fathers do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters and everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea, and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Tell, and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen? Was it as long as you thought? If it was, don't say yes. Anyway, so we've now reached the end of Colossians, which we've been working through this summer. And as we just read the letter there, but we're going to sit in the last uh, 12 verses there, verses 7 through 18. And I think where this this text leads us, and part of this has to do with it coming at the end of the letter, uh, is to focus on on two things, uh, and I'll phrase them shortly as this. Uh, It's an emphasis on us being co-heirs, that's H-E-I-R, co-heirs, and an emphasis on us being cooperators as well. So regarding that first one, us being co-heirs, I think it's important for us to understand that when we gather as the church, You've heard so much of that language as we read through the letter, uh, the the call towards the church, towards the people. When we gather as a church, it's to give thanks and praise as co-heirs with Christ. So again, that's something Paul gives us emphasis throughout the letter, um, and it definitely takes some specific emphasis in the first 23 verses of the letter. Uh, You heard a part of that as the, the scripture reading earlier, and then I read through it as well. But if you look at verse four into five of chapter one, it says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. If you look at verses 11 and 13, of, still in chapter one, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So as we read the text this morning, the end of chapter 4, Paul's giving his final greetings, his final words to the Colossian church. But we can't lose sight that this concept of the believers being being co-heirs with Christ is critical. And it's not just critical here in Colossians. You can look at Galatians 3.29, Galatians 4.7, Ephesians 3.6, Titus 3.7. Each of those is a Pauline letter, uh, and those verses make clear what our inheritance to come is. But I think maybe the most notable passage where Paul makes reference to this comes in Romans 8. Romans 8, I'm going to read Quickly, verses 12 to 17, Paul writes, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. So we can, to be frank, we can gloss over this last chunk of Colossians, starting in verse 7, as Paul's kind of credits or acknowledgments or shout out to his besties or whatever you want to call it, right? But we're mistaken to just look at it that way. This is Paul doing all he can to put a reminder in front of the Colossians That Christ made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. But it's not just that. It wasn't just the mercy of being spared from the wrath that we deserve. We, just like the Colossians, have been promised eternity with God if we believe in this gospel and submit our lives to be used as He wills. We can't ever lose sight of this as the church Think about the, the crazy number of times that just someone in this room this morning has read or prayed the Lord's Prayer. If you do the math, it's gonna add up pretty quick. And if you read it or prayed it, you either read aloud or to or spoke aloud or spoke to yourself or to the Father these words Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really embrace that or is it just spiritual verbiage or wording that we've become accustomed to? The struggle is that the promise of eternity in heaven is so glorious and so unfathomable and so beyond our comprehension that the, the glory that awaits just doesn't seem like we can grasp. So you may be sitting here this morning having not confessed and repented of your sins and accepted in faith Christ work for you on the cross. And if so, this inheritance isn't yours. But I pray that you'll reconsider this stance this morning and see the everlasting and eternal value of what's promised to be yours in Christ. But when we talk about inheritance or when we talk about things that we've saved up, think about the hours and dollars that we spend trying to accumulate uh, assets or long-term security uh, or even experiences, experiences excuse me, of some kind. People all throughout the room have something or some things from this list. Uh, a 401k, an IRA, some sort of family trust or fund, um, maybe multiple homes, maybe a vacation home, or some sort of yearly uh, vacation. Um, You may have been to once in a lifetime concerts or sporting events. Um, You may have a pension of some kind, whatever it is. The list could go on and on. And so think about the hours and dollars that were spent accumulating those things. Then think about how much time, space, and money you've given to those things as opposed to giving thanks for the inheritance that God has promised and how much time you've spent on those things as opposed to asking him for opportunities to share that gospel promise and inheritance with others. So look, I'm not condemning uh, you setting aside money for retirement or you going on vacation or you resting or whatever it is, but Whatever we have been given, which is different for each person in this room, do we have it held as a resource, open-handed for God to use as He wills? Or does it fall into that category of a source of pride or security during your time here on earth, which is going to come to an end? To be blunt, we all fail at this, no matter how much or how little We've been given by God. Sin creeps in, makes its way into, uh, yeah, just our heart in terms of security in terms of what we are prioritizing. But there's something to take away from our text today, and that that failure also isn't final. We've got three examples here in the close of Colossians. We've got uh, the first, John Mark, or Mark. Uh, he's a gospel writer. Uh, He originally accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey in Acts 13, but then leaves leaves the journey. Um, And that leads to some tension between he and Paul. And Paul and Barnabas, then in Acts 15, are, are debating whether to bring Mark on this next missionary journey. They're having a dispute. It's kind of funny, right? They're disputing whether to bring a gospel writer. The second example is Demas who in 2 Timothy 4 deserts Paul while he's on mission as well. And lastly is Paul himself, right? Paul used to be leading the charge in persecuting Christians, seeking to have them imprisoned, beaten, maybe even killed. And now God has willed him to be leading the charge of reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So failure here isn't final, if we have our eternal hope in Christ. Mistakes are inevitable, and struggles and failures may be temporary, but they're certainly not final. There's nothing that a man or woman can do that would disqualify him or her from being redeemed by Jesus on the cross. And even in the most, most faithful of us, will still be woefully imperfect during our time here on earth. After our conversion, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in a letter he wrote. He wrote it to a former student who had written to him about struggles that she was having. And he replied, amongst his long letter, he said, No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present to us, it is the very sign of his presence. That's the beauty of us being a co-heir with Christ and set to inherit heaven. And it's important for us to understand this morning and sit with because this is the mentality that Paul and the servants who he mentions here at the end of the book were living with as as they are um, bringing this letter to the Colossian church. They were able to do their best in serving God by focusing and rooting themselves in the work of Christ and the promise of heaven eternal. So the second thing, that was the first one, right, an emphasis on us being co-heirs with Christ and heirs to God. The second one is us being cooperators. So again, it's important for us to, to think about and consider we gather as a church, as a body, to give witness and to mature cooperatively. In verses 7 through 16 of chapter 4, we get 11 people specifically referenced when you include Paul himself. And now, admittedly, we know more about some than others, but here's the uber-quick rundown. We have Tychicus. He's kind of a right-hand man for Paul, not just here in Colossians, but also in Ephesians, Acts, and Titus. He is, he's bringing the letter, reading it, uh, giving kind of color commentary to Paul's situation as well. We have Onesimus. He's a slave convert of Paul's ministry, and he's a native Colossian. He's from Colossae, and he is also to whom the letter of Philemon is written. Aristarchus joined Paul on missionary journeys and is now imprisoned with him. Mark, we covered a little bit earlier, but he wrote the Gospel of Mark and had some up-and-down missionary involvement with Paul. Jesus, known as Justice, well, To be frank, we don't know very much about him. Then we have Epaphras. He is almost assuredly a convert of Paul's ministry, and he's likely the one who brought the gospel to Colossae. Luke is the author of the gospel with his name, and also the book of Acts. He's a Gentile, and as we see noted here, a doctor. Demas, not much is known other than what we have here and what I referenced earlier in 2 Timothy. Timothy. Nympha is likely a a widow who may be housing the Laodicean church in her home. And Archippus is doing some sort of ministry here in Colossae that we're not exactly sure what it is, but it may be pastoral in nature. It may have a a missions or evangelism uh, purpose. We're not exactly sure. And then lastly, we have Paul. Uh, You all know who Paul is and know enough about him to know his story. So, sure enough, as we've heard a few different times in Colossians, this is a diverse collection of believers, and it helps reinforce and emphasize what we've heard a few times that Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all. And in all. And that same thing is true here at South Shore Baptist Church. We have folks from all different backgrounds, circumstances, cultures. But we must rejoice in how God brings us all together. We're all familiar with the saying that it takes a village to raise a child, right? Certainly true. I've got a little three year old who's proving that true as we speak. So thank you all for your help in advance. But our passage this morning should make us, I think, rethink that a little bit. I think we need to propose that it takes a village to raise a Christian. This conclusion to Colossians highlights just a small portion of the believers that God is using to raise and mature the believers in Colossae. But the same is true of the believers here on the South Shore. We need each other to mature and develop. And that can't be a lighthearted commitment. Look at Paul and the companions here, right? He mentions just all the work that they're doing, and it's just this emphasis at the end of the book. They're not just living out their New life in Christ as a hobby or a part time job or a side hustle or whatever it is. This is their new purpose in life and it needs to be ours too. We should be dedicated to cooperate together to spread the gospel, whether here on the South Shore or elsewhere. We should be dedicated to cooperate together to help one another grow in Christ likeness. We should be dedicated to pray diligently for one another, just as Paul says Epaphras is praying diligently for the Colossian church. And to be clear, that means knowing, you knowing, how to pray for one another. That means sharing your burdens and needs with one another. It means considering the church to be my family and your family. It means that the brothers and sisters who know Christ here know the good, the bad, and the ugly about you. And it means that you will love, care for, and exhort when needed those same brothers and sisters, and that you have ears open to hear the love and correction from each one of them. But, let's take it one, one step further, I believe as we think about those things, we have to take inventory of how we view service at church, what it looks like to serve God and what it looks like to do that as the body of Christ, as this letter is written to the Colossian church. So I think part of this is is rooted in Tychicus's role with the letter of Colossians and with other Pauline letters. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but he's He's delivering the letters, he's likely reading them just as I did earlier to the various churches or places that they were intended for. So he's traveling all over, he's not doing it by plane, train or automobile, but likely by foot. And it takes, it's taking him days and weeks and months of travel time, maybe even years. But he's doing it to read a letter and to encourage fellow believers. And I believe that the trap we can fall into is misinterpreting what it means to serve the Lord. So, Merriam-Webster defines service in a number of ways, but I think this one in particular is appropriate. Merriam-Webster defines service as this, useful labor that does not produce a tangible commodity. So we like to find niches and places where we are comfortable to serve. And while that is service, it does have boundaries for us, right? In America, as American culture has kind of meshed with the church over the la- especially the last handful of decades, we've seen more and more churches having a laundry list of ministries to serve all different cross-sections and demographics of people. And to be clear, I'm not condemning men's or women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, senior ministry, whatever it is, but I believe that we need to learn that serving doesn't have boundaries. The church can healthily exist without these firm ministry boundaries, but only if there's great commitment. And even if the church has these boundaries, the great commitment is still needed to make it healthy. So it's only if we are committed to that useful labor that produces intangible results. We become so used to being driven by tangible results by uh, what we can provide proof of, right? So here's a picture that I think some of you will recognize to an extent, maybe a little faded out there. Um, this is a depth chart, right? So most sports of of All sorts have a depth chart, and if you don't understand sports at all, not a big deal. The concept is very simple. There are roles or positions, and there's a pecking order based at least supposedly on skill and sometimes merit, right? I chose this one since we're about to enter football season, and many of you here may be Patriots fans. I'm not really a diehard Patriots fan, but you'll see up here, right here is the quarterback, it's the most important position in football, and the Patriots quarterback this is their depth chart is going to be Mac Jones. And but the thing you're all surprised to see up here is that the starting left guard here his name's Cole Strange he's got this little red cue, so he's injured, which means Bill Murray might be filling in for him. And what you're all thinking is he's past his physical prime, but he'll probably make the defenders fall down in laughter. I'm just kidding. But this picture is often how we approach church service, and we can easily create more and more roles just to find folks to be able to fill them. But I want to counter with an important distinction from what we see here. The coach of the team determines who fills these roles based on skill and performance over other teammates competing to play the role. The church is entirely different. We aren't competing for playing time with one another. The roles at church are filled primarily by willingness and availability, not skill. So here's the next slide. I spent hours creating this one. This is the South Shore Baptist depth chart, okay? So, just as an example, We don't hold tryouts to see who makes the best cup of coffee. Cody isn't gonna come back from sabbatical, bring two people into his office on a Monday, and say, look, Bob, I know you've been our coffee guy here for 21 weeks in a row, but Julie has shown a lot of improvement over the last few weeks, and I'm gonna give her the shot to start this Sunday. Right? And now, to be fair, there are certain gifts that individuals have been given, and there are certain roles, like preacher or worship leader, That not all of us may be able to serve in but every other role in this picture and there's other roles that we could list should be able to be filled by pretty much any member of the church and this is going to sound cliche but it came to mind as as I thought about this this call what's JFK's famous quote from his inaugural address go ahead And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So, South Shore Baptist Church. I'll say, and so, my fellow South Shore Baptists, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. God's call to us is to give our all in serving Him. So we have to get past our ideas of needing to be good at whatever it is we're doing or fearing messing up in doing it. We just need to humbly do our best at whatever task he gives us and love one another at each step of doing it. That is going to be imperfect and is going to be challenging at times. But it is our call to cooperate in doing so. And I think there's a timeliness to this passage as well. As Mike mentioned earlier, this this Sunday is the last without Cody. And I pray that our time in Colossians results in Cody returning to a church that is desperately rooted in the work of Christ and shockingly devoted to serving wherever we are needed and wherever God calls and to be clear, that isn't about impressing Cody or surprising him. He's actually kind of irrelevant in the equation. Cody could be Jim or Bob or Tim or Larry or Stuart. But it's about the growth that we can be committed to and how quickly the Word of God could shape us as a church. And here's the second component to why I think it's It's timely. If you were at our annual members' meeting in June, you heard the elders speak to the initiative of uh, working and discussing some topics about our church vision in the in the coming months. And you're hear, you'll hear more from them in the in the coming weeks and months. But I think it's important to realize that our vision, our outreach, our vibrancy as a body is all rooted in our ability as that same body to remain steadfast in the sun and that we are willing to do whatever necessary to serve the God who reigns. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father would you give us passion and excitement for your work and spirit would you humble each of us and help us To be more dedicated to things with eternal meaning and not things of this world that have temporary meaning. God, would you allow us to always point others to the cross and always draw near to the cross in days of hardship and trial? And God, would you bless us to see serving and leading and being part of a committee or team as a privilege and not a duty. Lord, may we be joyful to work wholeheartedly here on earth with heaven as our reward. It's in the Savior, Jesus Christ's name that we pray, amen. And at this time, we are going to take communion together. So I'd like to welcome forward one of our elders, Jim Kleberg, to lead us in communion.